I invite you to take your pew Bibles and turn to page 1096. That's 1096. If you have your own Bibles, we will be reading from Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 4 and 22 to 30. Page 1096. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemns sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit. And now down to verse 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. The word of the Lord. Pray with me. Lord God, your word is powerful and true, and it changes us. We cannot read and hear the word without being changed. Open our minds and our hearts to receive and respond to your truth today. In Jesus' name, amen. What if... I can know, and we can know, without a doubt or without any lack of clarity, God's precise will for our lives for eternity. Would that motivate us to do whatever we could to cooperate with him to fulfill it? What if I told you that we can, in fact, know God's precise will for our children and our children's children after us, 
indeed for all humanity from the beginning until now and at all times and in all places in this life on this earth. Would that change the way we parent and grandparent? If we can believe it, and if we can humble ourselves to accept it, the purpose for our existence, the purpose for for our being, and our purpose for living is to bear God in Christ Jesus' image, to manifest his likeness, and to represent him on this earth in our time, in our place, and in our time. We get that from the historical record of our creation by the one true living and triune God, according to his sovereign will and goodness in the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, where we read these vitally important words of our design and purpose. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Friends, and especially parents and young people, I honestly believe that if we could get this one thing right, that we human beings, all of us and without exception, are created deliberately and purposefully in God's image to bear his likeness and to represent him on the earth, it would solve many, even the vast majority of our problems in the world and in the church. Okay, so maybe the vast majority of our problems in the world is a bit ambitious, though it really is true. We're neither in the garden nor in heaven, and the world has been corrupted by sin so as to be hostile to God's word, will, and order. So that's not happening yet. But in the church, quite literally, the church is to be the beginning of the reassertion of God's good will, God's good and sovereign order, God's good, sovereign, and sinless beauty in and through all of creation. The church is to be the beginning point of God's redemptive work in Christ. The way that happens, the only way that happens, is that the Holy Spirit begins the process of recreating in God's people into the very character of Jesus Christ. It will not be completed, this work, in this life, on this earth, But it certainly starts here, and it starts here by faith and hope in the shed blood, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the Christ. And along with this very clear truth that we are all purposefully and wonderfully made in the very image of God to bear the very likeness of God on the earth in our time and place, comes the nearly equally glorious truth that he has created us, male and female. Please don't report me to the human rights people, but I'm only drawing our attention to the clear teaching of scripture and the clear intention of our creator when he made us. And when he made us, according to the Bible, he made us in his image, male, 
and female. Now, this is not new to us here at Bethesda, or it shouldn't be. As your preaching pastor, I've been preaching variations on this basic message for all of our 16 years together. But I must say that we haven't quite gotten it, not really, not fully, and I don't mean that you haven't gotten it, and here I am pleading with you to catch up with me. No, to the contrary, we are all in the very same place of need for the Spirit's transforming grace today. This is an excellent place, I think, for us to take our first look at the central truth of our message for this morning. Look with me at the screen or the inside left corner of your bulletin there. Central truth of our message for this morning is in two parts, the Holy Spirit's part and then our part. The most important part, which is the Holy Spirit's part, is this. The primary works of the Holy Spirit are to one, testify to the truth and life of Jesus Christ, and two, transform God's people into Jesus Christ's image by his word. And the primary purpose of all human beings is to bear God's image and likeness on the earth. And the primary calling for all God's people is to submit to God's word in the Holy Spirit's work to transform us into the image of Jesus Christ. So let's go through that one more time. The primary works of the Holy Spirit are to one, testify to the truth and life in Jesus Christ, and secondly, to transform God's people into Jesus Christ's image by his word. And then our part in this process is that the primary purpose of all human beings is to bear God's image and likeness on the earth according to God's word. The primary calling for all God's people is to submit to God's word and the Holy Spirit's work to transform us into the image of Jesus Christ. Now, those are both complementary summary statements. We need the Holy Spirit to do the transforming work of creating us or recreating us into God's image, which was his intention from the beginning. But we also need to accept it and cooperate with his redeeming work. Once these two conditions are met, that we come to faith and rebirth by God's grace and that we accept and cooperate with the Holy Spirit's redeeming work, we can then join him to bear God's image and likeness on the earth and to call others to repentance and faith. Now I'd like to read our specific passage for this morning, which begins at verse 22 of Romans chapter 8 and continues through verse 30. Let's look at it just specifically before we go on. I'll be reading here from the English Standard Version. I do it deliberately so that we can, can hear another variation on the same theme. It's a little bit different than the NIV, but I think it won't be terribly distracting. From verse 22, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, and I believe that means in the hope of being adopted as sons of God and the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. 
Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Verse 26, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among, among many brothers, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Before we move on, I'd like to take just a brief moment for prayer. Let's pray together. God, our Father, we ask you to speak to us now from your word. We ask that you give encouragement where encouragement is needed and comfort where comfort is needed and joy and gladness where there is sadness and grief. We need to hear from you, Lord, more than anything else. We need to know you more than anyone else. We need to know and believe in Jesus Christ whom you have sent more than anything else and anyone else. So I pray that you'd open my lips and you would open our ears and our hearts and our minds to your truth and allow us to bring glory to you and good for your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Because the text is a progression of truth, let's review our applications from last week, just, just briefly. The first point that we looked at last week from Romans chapter 8, verses 18 and following, is this, suffering in this life on this earth, common to all human beings and especially Christian human beings, will be replaced by a future glory that will render any and all human suffering irrelevant, even useful in God's sovereign goodness. And you'll remember that we noted that though it's, it will be rendered irrelevant, suffering will not be ever unreal. It's not as if it doesn't matter. But in the grand scheme of things, it will become irrelevant in the future glory that we share with Christ. In fact, it might have even been useful in God's sovereign goodness to do that work of recreating us into the image of Christ and sharing the sufferings of Christ, as Paul said that he sought to do. The second thing we looked at last week was that this was, was since the fall of humanity into sin, the whole of creation has groaned under the weight of sin's corrupting influence, waiting for our creator to reveal and redeem his children. And we looked at chapter eight and verses 20, 19 to 22 to see that. Now you'll have noticed that we have 
some overlap this week with last week's text, and that's a good place for us to begin this morning. So last week's last verse become this week's first verse or verses, and last week's last point becomes this week's first point. But those of you who are of the keener sort will notice that I've altered the point in grammatically slight ways, but, but not, not, not um, grammatically slight ways, but I think probably spiritually significant ways. Here's the new point and number one for this morning. Groaning is the natural state and condition of all human beings. And this is the insight I got on this very point this past week as I continued to process this text. But groaning inwardly, that's what the Spirit is talking about here in chapter 8 at this point. The, the, the inward groaning is the state and condition of those who've been saved by Jesus's redeeming blood and the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit so that we who are God's children await our redemption even of our bodies patiently by faith and hope in Jesus Christ. So what are we talking about here? Well, yes, it is the natural state and condition of all human beings to groan because of the fall of humanity into sin. Our bodies wear out, our joints hurt, our minds become feeble, and there comes a time when we all realize, saved and unsaved, that time is not on our side. But I want us to see this morning that it's because of the Holy Spirit's presence within us that we become aware of our own inward groaning. The Holy Spirit allows us to realize there's more to our lives than this physical world this, and its particular pains and time. In other words, there is an inward groaning that results from the Spirit's planting of himself within each of God's blood-bought children, and according to this text, the first fruits of the Spirit growing up and pushing outward into our lives and on into eternity, this inward groaning. And this can be quite distracting, even annoying, this new sort of groaning inwardly because of the Spirit's presence. How many of us thought we had a pretty good life made for ourselves before God began to change our perceptions of reality, spirituality, and time? I'm one. I was on my way until God showed up and I was nowhere. And in a sense, no one. For those of us who came to Christ as adults or returned to him after a long hiatus, it was no longer sufficient to work at a job to make money to get the things we wanted. What was once first in our priority began to fall back in that priority list very, very quickly like a stone in water to perhaps the end, the last thing. At some point and by some means, we became aware that there was more to life and more required of us, and time is not on our side. The Rolling Stones do not know what they're talking about. And that was and that is the Holy Spirit about whom Jesus said that he will lead us into all knowledge, and some of that knowledge is about ourselves and our purpose in life. This process of becoming aware of eternity and eternal things in contrast to the temporal, physical, material is the beginning of it, this newness of life, this enlightenment, if we can use it truly to, to apply to this particular topic, not capital E, 
looking at the movement in human history, but looking at the process of what happens to us when the Holy Spirit turns on the light. And here, Paul's expression of it, the Spirit's own expression of it is groaning inwardly. So while groaning inwardly is the natural state and condition of all human beings, groaning rather is the natural state of, and condition of all human beings, groaning inwardly is the state and condition of those who've been saved by Jesus' redeeming work and the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit. So we who are God's children await our redemption, even of our bodies, patiently by faith and hope in Christ Jesus. Secondly, as the Spirit works out the redemption of our bodies in hope and eternity, so will he help us today, tomorrow, and throughout our earthly lives and ministries in our weakness to God's glory and for the good of his children. It just occurs to me that I didn't read our text a second ago. Verse 22, about this inward groaning thing, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, and who, who, who are we? We are those who have the first fruits of the Spirit. What is the result of the first fruits of the Spirit in our lives? We begin to groan inwardly, and we wait eagerly, or as we wait eagerly for the adoption of, as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, this hope for redemption, this hope for adoption, we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. We could even say we, we wait for him with patience. Now, the first thing we need to deal with here in verses 26 and 27 is the word likewise. It's in uh, the NIV, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. In the NIV, it said, in the same way, um, the Spirit intercedes or helps us in our weakness. Likewise, what? What does the likewise refer to? Well, last week in our introduction, we noted that Romans chapter 8 is all about the work of the Holy Spirit and the lives of believers and the ministries of believing churches, and we made that, that notation just earlier at the top of the message. And put simply, the, the likewise, or in the same way, is a continuation of this vital teaching about the centrality of the Holy Spirit and living out the reality of our freedom in Christ. I think the best way to highlight this is to go back and actually see it, read it again with this in view from verse 1, and let's just note along our way all the references to the Spirit and what He's doing for us. So here we are in verse 1, chapter 8 of Romans. There is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Here it here comes, the first reference, verse 2, for the law of the spirit of life has done what? Set you free or set me free, depending on the manuscript that they're using. In the NIV, it says set me free. In the ESV, it says set you free. That's because there's some ambiguity between manuscripts, whether it's you or me. The me makes a lot of sense because Paul has just been talking about his own life 
and his own conversion and his own transforming grace and yet his struggle with sin and, and right the, the very last words, but, my flesh, but, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. So it makes very good sense. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for the law of the spirit of life has set me free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Why wouldn't he be declaring, proclaiming, testifying to that? But there are other manuscripts that say set you free, a more general audience here. Um, And so that's the reason there's a distinction or a difference between the versions. But in any case, the point is that the spirit of the law has set us free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Verse 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, and this is my, my favorite little particle, sude, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, brothers and sisters, I should say, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons or or, or children of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, as sons and daughters, as children by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed into us. Remember that preposition from last week? For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. That's probably firstborn sons that includes all the sons and all the daughters of God adopted into his household. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, we, we noted there are three choices here, uh, probably. Uh, choice number one would be the devil uh, in the temptation of Adam and Eve into sin. Choice number two would be Adam who fell and subjected the creation to corruption. And choice number three that I believe strongly is intended here uh, is God himself 
who subjected by his word a judgment, a curse on, on creation, but he did so in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, but who, who hopes for, for who hopes for what, is, what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Verse 26, likewise the Spirit. You see that? It's the Spirit, it's the Spirit, it's the Spirit, it's the Spirit, all the way through and here, verse 26, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according, not to our will, but to the will of God. So here's the thing. All expressions, all presumptions, all projections of human strength in the light of the power and purposes of the one true and living and eternal God is a total illusion. Realizing this, recognizing this, and especially admitting this are among the first steps to truly gaining access to the one who made all things by the power of his word. And so the Holy Spirit says here through Paul, likewise, as the Spirit has worked in all these ways, he also helps us in our weakness. And we are all weak. We are fundamentally weak. We are not strong, and we need his intervention. And the promise is right here. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. And what has he committed himself to do? For we do not know what to pray for, as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints, for, for God, God's people, according to the will of God. So the Spirit of God has committed himself to helping us in the very place of our greatest weakness. And please note, not our individual weaknesses like a self-help seminar, but he helps us, God the Spirit helps us in our total, incomprehensible, undeniable weakness in toto. So as the Spirit works out the redemption of our bodies and hope and eternity, so will he help us today, tomorrow, and throughout our earthly lives and ministries in our weakness to God's glory and for the good of his children. Thirdly, next to lastly, the ultimate work of the Spirit is for the eternal good in the lives of believers and in the ministries of believing churches, which also brings glory to God. Now, you've, you've heard me say this before, so I hope you won't be too shocked and aghast. 
and I hope you'll not count me redundant when I say again, the Bible does not anywhere promise that all things will work out for good. It just doesn't. That's not what we just read in verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Neither does the Bible say that if we have enough faith and just hold on to to that, God will ensure that we win or we are successful or we are contented with this life on this earth or our church will grow or we'll, we'll, we'll be elected to some higher office or any other thing like that or that we are contented with this life on this earth. I could go on and on, but then I would actually be being redundant. What does the Bible say here, remembering that we're still talking about the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers and the ministries of believing churches? Now listen as I read it one more time, and please note the conditions that must first be met to realize the promise of this profound verse. It is not a general promise at all. In the ESV, it reads this way, and we know, what do we know? That for those who love God, that's condition number one, all things work together for good. Condition number two, for those who are called according to his purpose. I actually like the NIV better because God is the one at work here and it just, it's passive in the, in the ESV version. You see that all things work together? They, they, just, they just do, apparently, in the ESV. I, I don't think that's the best uh, expression. I think the NIV does better here. And we know that in all things, God works, see that, for the good of those who, call, who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. It's for those who love God and who are called according to his purpose, both spirit-born believers and spirit-born believing churches, that God works all things together for good, however we phrase it. It's not for everybody. It's not in every case. It's for God's people, his children, who will reside with him in his house forevermore. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Almost, I I say almost because surely someone will immediately find an exception to the almost all. Almost all of God's promises that we find in Scripture are conditional. I would say all of them because that's, that's, I don't know of one that isn't conditional. But I'll say almost all of them just to give some wiggle room that there might be one somewhere that isn't conditional. And yet we we are inclined to grab them and take hold of them as if they're absolute and in a vacuum. We must not do that, including this very familiar one. I've I've seen kitchen magnets up on the the, uh, refrigerator, right? All things work together for good. No, they don't. And that's not God's promise. God works all things for good to those who love God and for those who are called according to his purpose. You see, those conditions are essential um, because every time there's a condition, it's the fulfillment of that condition that makes the promise true. 
So the ultimate work of the Spirit is for the eternal good in the lives of believers and in the ministries of believing churches and also brings glory to God. So finally, we come to the title and topic of our sermon this morning. It's also where we'll pick it up next Sunday. It's number four and number last of our points of truth for today. All true believers in the one true and living God are predestined to be conformed and to conform. So to be conformed is the work of the Spirit, and to conform is our obedience. We have to cooperate. We accept it. We, we cooperate with the Spirit's work. Into the image of God's Son, to be like Him in some real way, and to share in His glory with Him for eternity. Verse 29 and 30, For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers, and those whom he predestined, what did he predestine destined us to do, to, to do or to be? Well, that is to be conformed to the image of God's Son. That's what he's predestining us to do, at least in this passage, in this verse. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Oftentimes when we hear the word predestination, we, we lose our minds. We, I, I, can't, I can't take that. I can't believe in a God who would predestine people to hell. That's not what this says. This says that those of us who come to Christ in faith and receive eternal life are predestined by, by God's prior order to become, condition, or, or, to become conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That's the predestination. That's what we're predestined to do. It is a very clear following of the one being predestined to be conformed to, to Christ Jesus after the first, which is faith and rebirth. Most preachers and teachers, and therefore also most truly biblical Christian, miss what is being taught here and what is being promised here. It is not a treatise on the general theory of predestination. And so it's important to get the context and the goal. The context here is the ultimate good of all God's people. So believe it or not, verse 29 in Romans chapter 8 comes after Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. That's how these things work. And what, look at it in context. Verse 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. And for those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknows. So now... For new. So now he's working out this ultimate good in God's people that God works out in our lives from beginning to end. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And, for, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So the context here is the ultimate good of all God's people, God's children that he himself has wrought in the Holy Spirit, reborn to eternal life and renewed to God's holy, righteous, and good purposes. And the delivery of that ultimate good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose is to be predestined to be conformed and to conform to the image of God's son, Jesus Christ. How does John say it in, in uh, his first letter? That we will be in some way like him. We don't know what we are and we don't know what, who, what we will be, but we do know this, we will be like him. 
And this says, we are even predestined to be like him, those of us who come to Christ and are adopted by the Spirit into God's family. That's it. That's all. And what does that look like? We just read it in verse 30, didn't we? And those whom he predestined, he also called. Called into salvation, perhaps called into ministry service. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Let's look at that uh, next week and we'll, we'll pick it up. We'll pick it up there. Let's pray together. God, our Father, we thank you for this, your word. We thank you for these promises upon promises upon promises of the Spirit's work in our lives. And this glorious promise that those whom you foreknew, because you know all things from the beginning to the end, and from the end and the end from the beginning, you foreknew us. That's a glorious thought. And those whom you foreknew, you have also predestined. You have set a path in front of us that we are walking to become more like Christ, to be conformed to his image and to, to, to conform to his likeness. Not only a passive action being done on us or to us, but also we are agreeing, we are accepting, we are allowing it to happen. We want it to happen. We eagerly await the redemption of our bodies. Thank you, Lord, for, for your ongoing faithfulness toward us. In Jesus' name, amen. At the top of the service, we sang uh, the first 18 verses of Psalm 139. I'd like, to, I'd like for us to hear as we're leaving the last two verses and kind of offer this up as a prayer on our behalf to the Lord. And I would commend it to you this week to um, come back to it. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Lord, thank you for these, your words, and may we take them to heart and may we process them this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for coming. We'll see you next time.